Hello, hello, hello. All over the place. Listening audience, welcome back to our second show of the new year. Mr. Culver, how are you, sir? Mr. E, Mr. E, how you doing? All right, doing well, doing quite well. Saw, saw Mr. Cersei on the screen today again. Well, for the first time in a while, seeing him on the big screen. But uh, yeah, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, the old way that he uh, mentioned long ago on our first podcast. Nice. So uh, yeah, it was great to see that one and a uh, nice, nice little Western. And uh, yeah, I'm, you know, and just I was uh, sifting through all of the the tributes paid to Jeff Beck, who passed away yesterday, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, de definitely one of the greatest guitarists of any generation and uh, just leaving an indelible mark. And I'll be the first to admit that I don't own or I've owned one of his CDs in my entire life, but he's had his fingerprint on so many albums that I have purchased through the years and listened to and loved. And most recently, and uh, it was one of the nicest tributes I read uh, from Ozzy Osbourne, he appeared on his latest album, The uh, Patient Number Nine. And Jeff Beck, you know, just uh, thoughts and prayers to his his family, loved ones, friends, and uh, th thanks for all of the all of the tunes and uh, just the influence that he left. So, amen to that. I, I I must admit, I don't know much about Jeff Beck. You're the, you're the music guy, not me. So right, right. Can you, can you give me a little bit of? Uh, I know I know he kind of took over for for Clapton on some things. And uh, now, I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the order of things, because I think it went in, in the Yardbirds way back when. Right, right. Uh, Eric, Eric Clapton was first, and then I think he passed the torch to, oh, no, it, it was to Jeff Beck, because then uh, Jimmy Page played bass at first in the Yardbirds, and then Jeff Beck left, and Jimmy Page slid over to guitar. So, yeah, then when, when Jeff Beck went off to form the Jeff Beck group with Ron Wood, and rod stewart and gotcha. yeah so it's uh going back to that and then he just went off and did his at uh, the jeff beck group and then just jeff beck solo and then he continued to work with rod stewart through the years uh just so many albums with him and he hooked up with so many guys uh through the years uh, most notably for me at least in the 80s was when he played uh with mick jagger on uh, i believe it was mick's second solo album May have played on the first one as well. I can't remember. She's the boss, but I know he was on the, the second one. And I think he may have even toured with, oh no, it was Satriani who toured with him. Jeff Beck played on the album, if I remember correctly. But then he did a project with uh, Terry Bozio and Hyams. That was a big triple of uh, a uh, super, like a, uh, the three, the three headed monster on that one. I got that in college. That's the only CD of his I've ever owned. But then, then he would go back and work with uh, the faces and just and just anything he would be doing with uh, with Rod Stewart. But yeah, just uh, his mark and he's just a very unique blending of rock and classical and jazz and just very unique sounds. So he's uh, like I said, his fingerprints are on so much rock and roll and beyond since the '60s. So and and that's one thing that you know. Uh, these guys pass away and and he was still making music too he just had an album out last year he's been uh, collaborating with johnny depp of all people and i kind of kick myself now for not trying to get tickets to the uh, sold out show here in phoenix but great album that he, he did uh, with with johnny depp so he was still making music unlike a lot of guys who are in their late 70s you know you know basically for me my, my parents 
generation who have been passing away. They're just not as active anymore, just recycling old hits and just living off the catalog. But Jeff Beck was still making music and, and God bless him for it. And, and we're, and thank God we'll always have these things to continue uh, listening to, to, to his, uh, his un- very unique style. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you my own, my own uh, meager experience with, with uh, music tells me that it's a young man's game uh, <laughs> and uh, it takes a certain amount of mental and physical energy that, uh, that I probably wouldn't even have in my forties now. So uh, that's pretty impressive that he was still making, making music into his seventies. Yeah. Uh, definitely sounds like one of the, one of those kind of unheralded artists that, have have a huge influence on the culture and never really get the attention they deserve for it, you know. Kind of working in that working in the background on a lot of things. Yeah, and uh, but fortunately he has, and that's why as uh, you pour through all these tributes over at Ultimate Classic Rock from from people in the business, from you know just uh, Warren Haynes. I know he was on there just uh, paying his trip. Warren Haynes from uh, uh, Government Mule and the Allman Brothers Band, and uh, just as diverse as him and and uh, Ozzy and uh, uh, Paul Stanley from Kiss also weighing in. Sammy Hagar, uh, of course. I don't think Sammy Hagar's uh, ever ever met a uh, a situation where he uh, didn't want to want to jump in. Love you, Sammy, but he's 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 uh, he's all over the place, as we like to say here. But uh, yeah, it's uh, Jeff Beck. Like I said, he touched so many so many different uh, lives and, and musicians, and just uh, Rick Springfield was also jumping in, uh, saying some so many very nice things. And it's, uh, I'll be cranking some Ozzy. I'll be cranking patient number nine with some Jeff Beck later on tonight. Oh, and also he, uh, back in the eighties, he was on the, uh, Honey Drippers project with Robert Plant and his old, uh, Yardbird mate, uh, Jimmy Page, a little rockabilly album, the early rock stuff. So that's, uh, yeah, Jeff Beck, awesome player, awesome player. And yeah, like I said, although he didn't really get the notoriety and, uh, you know, the, the fame with the average music fan, he de- definitely the artists uh, and just the, the mu- prof- musicians knew him, loved him, worked with them. And, and I can't, I have yet to hear a bad word about him through the years. And he's just, one of those guys can plug into anybody's style and just jam out. And, and he also uh, gave us the uh, the inspiration for uh, Nigel Tufnell, the haircut from ah, Christopher okay. Guest and Spinal Tap. That that's that's a Jeff Beck original. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> the 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 original uh, pro, he was, is the proto mullet. <laughs> so, well, yeah. But, how, yeah. How many people, even in the music industry, can say they they you know inspired a, a Spinal Tap character? That's pretty awesome. And the answer is none. None more Jeff Beck. There you go. I, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry, but uh, rest in peace to, to Jeff Beck. Six strings down. So, amen. Crank, crank, crank them high. Light, light your lighter as you see fit. Fans of all over the place, and uh, you know, just what else, what else is going on, Jim? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> in in the non music world, in the non movie world, and it's, it's I know we've uh, that's that's the crux of you know, my my fun these days, and uh, yep. Yeah, but I know, and uh, but of course, you know what we—I'm noticing the hypocrisy of of the left. I know it co- kind of goes part and parcel, but uh, silence is deafening. Silence is deafening with what's going on with the declassified, or I'm sorry, the classified information that everyone's finding. Seems to find Biden aides are all of a sudden finding classified information off of you know in places where it's not supposed to be, and who's reporting on it beyond Fox News? I don't know. Well, that's it. I mean, 
you know, so so I mean, back when uh, back when they 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 found when when Trump was hanging on to some classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, they you know they they the Democrats acted like it was you know some and the, the second coming of the insurrection. I mean, they were sending out they were sending out FBI raids and and uh, just acting like it was treason and you know it was just you know. Exa- you know, ten, example number 10,561 of we got him this time. And uh, we're just, we're, you know, this this time we're really going to throw him in jail for this. And, you know, they were just raising holy hell about how it was he was a traitor. It was anti-American. And, you know, they were just it was it was treason. They're going to hang it from a yard arm. I mean, you saw all this stuff all over Twitter. And, uh, you know, oh, and of Twitter, course, there by were, the way, pre pre Elon Musk Twitter, pre Elon Twitter. Exactly. When the, when the game was very much fixed, uh, and you could and you could say whatever you want as long as you had a D next to your name, uh, but uh, you know, and, and of course there were reasonable explanations for this, and it certainly wasn't the first time any any president or former president has done it. But of course they just acted like it was, you know, just unbelievable and 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 just the worst thing ever. And uh, you know, here we are, only a year or two later, and it turns out that that. Joe Biden has been keeping classified documents from when he was a president, when he was vice president in his, in one of his old offices. And uh, this was discovered and, you know, promptly covered up. And then when it finally became public, he just tried to shift the blame and say, oh, well, I didn't even know it was there. It was just something my lawyers were keeping. And, you know, they did, they did the right thing and turned it in immediately. And it was nothing just completely playing it off. You know, just the president of the United States playing off, playing off this whole thing. And then, Next thing you know, now new documents are being found in a different location that he that he kept. So, and of course, absolute crickets from all these people that that you know this thing was a treasonous offense a year ago. Now suddenly it's totally fine, you know. And uh, of course it is. Can't imagine why, you know. I can't imagine what could be what could be d different this time. Uh, <laughs> is there a parenthetical uh, mark around the D in different? Is that where we're going to capitalize? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that's the the idea. Um, yeah, it's just it's just unbelievable how how hypocritical this is. I mean, it just there. I mean, I, I feel like there's just no credibility here. If people are going to freak out about something that that a Republican does, and then and then a week later a Democrat does it, and it's no big deal for no other reason. And, you know, they're, they're trying to play it off as, oh, this is, you know, the, oh, this is different because X, Y, Z, but there's no explanation for why it's different. It's just, they're just making excuses for the well, guy. Did, well, did the classified documents come from the National Archives and were they shoved down his pants when he was leaving with them? Whoa, that, whoa, that never, that's that just never, the Sandy Burger. I don't thing. know what you're talking about. That never happened. That's crazy talk, man. I, I, well, it is the new sounds year like, and I, I have been known to act a little crazier in the month of January. So sounds like, it sounds like insurrectionists talk to me, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> QAnon, man, QAnon, stop it, knock it off. Well, and that, and you know, and that's why you know, I, I, I've mentioned before, and it's I don't want to. I haven't become apathetic, but I, I've basically just become numb to yeah. the news now, and we all just try to plot along in our lives <clears throat> as best as we can, and oh, well, Fox will raise the big stink, the, you know, the all the right leaning. Media will raise a stink, and what will get done? Well, it's the it's the dog and pony show that the left does, and then the right does the same thing, and nothing gets done. And, and I, I see, I see friends of mine who, oh, you know, that's this court case is coming up, and oh, and they're finally going to lay the hammer down, and oh, hell, hell hath no fury, and and, and nothing happens. Everyone's just get, getting themselves worked up, and it's uh, 
I life goes on. Yeah. And uh, actually, it's I, I was at uh, morning mass yesterday. It's uh, funny that it's actually very in tune with this right now. Uh, uh, the priest was mentioning a trip back to uh, Texas over the holidays. And one of his friends there, family friend, uh, my brother-in-law, uh, whoever it was, but uh, the uh, guy's normally just a right-wing firebrand, you know, conspiracy theory, this and that, and or you know, conspiracy theories are what we now like to call the truth six months later. But it's uh, he was talking about uh, when he went back. This guy was always you know, you pick him up from the airport and on the hour drive back to the the family uh, play uh, homes, he would just be raising a stink and his blood boiling and all that stuff. And he wasn't doing that now with this latest trip. And he just said, I've got, I mean, I, he was talking with the priest there and uh, in his local parish in Texas. And he was just like, he said, what good's it get you? Why are you occupying your time so much with this when you're just going to raise your blood pressure up and, and, and get angrier and angrier? And the guy, it was his, it was his, you know, road to Damascus moment, on a much smaller scale. But he just, yeah, you're right. And he went off, and he's reading this four volume book on uh, uh, the, the the mystical, uh, something with the It's a it's a big Catholic uh, tome series, and he's doing that now, and he's just so much happier, and so 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 much more at peace. And and I guess I'm. I, I'm not reading the books that I should be reading in uh, in, in our Catholic faith. No, there, I mean, I, I I dabble, and actually, uh, our producer, uh, gave, I'm sitting here looking at it, and I think I'll start it tonight. Actually, no, I will start it tonight. C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Ah, excellent read, and uh, and the fact that it is, I believe, 128 pages. Yes, 128 pages. I can maybe get this done in two weeks. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that fast a reader. But you know, the, but the Bishop Barron books and things like that, and the news—it's—it's it's just a hum in the background now. And I, and I think, yeah, whether it's that this uh, the uh, family member, the the priest at my my local parish, uh, just f- finding peace, or me just putting putting it in the background buzz, much like I do with the NFL and and, and pro sports these days, I'm a lot happier for it. Now I, I didn't envision this getting self helpy tonight on all over the place but i i just think that's the, the better route to go especially when it's just like oh everyone let's get angry let's you know rubble 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 and then the, it just moves on 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 to the next thing yeah i mean i i yeah i absolutely get what you're saying and i think that uh <clears throat> yeah i think it's not healthy to be you know whatever whatever you want to call it doom scrolling and getting all worked up about this or that um but I also think that it's not particularly helpful to be, shall we say, blissfully ignorant of, of what's right. going on in the world. So I think there's, yeah. a, I think there's a happy medium there, where mm-hmm. you're, where you're in the know about things, you recognize the hypocrisy, you recognize the injustice. At the same time, you don't let it kind of drag you down into the muck. Right. And I think right. that's, I think that's probably the the best attitude we can have in days like this. And yeah, just uh, for me, it's harder to get to. Or finding the the sources for or getting the news, yeah. and and whether it's you know like the the narrow casting because you know and, and this is uh, something that, that John Ziegler and Liz Habib articulate so much better on their uh, death of journalism 
podcast series, but it's just a narrow casting now. And I can't go to, and I don't want to read CNN at the same time. I don't want to read Fox because it's just, it's spoon feeding what, what, whatever side wants to hear. And yeah, just finding that happy medium is just more and more difficult. Yeah. Fortunately, I have good friends who, who I can get <laughs> the, the right amount of inf- information from them uh, on the social media sites. Yeah. It was interesting that you mentioned the idea of becoming numb to these things. I was, I was actually just earlier today watching a, uh, a documentary about uh, LA and, and the, how extreme the poverty has gotten there. And, mm. uh, you know, there were, there were a lot of kind of man on the street interviews with people that, that were dealing with this, you know, the, you know, the tents outside and the, you know, the, me- the mental illness and the crime and all these things. Uh, they were dealing with it in their day-to-day lives. And, and it, you know, what people kept saying over and over again was this bothered me when I moved to LA 10 years ago, and now I'm just numb to it. And so, you know, it's, you know, it's just kind of this, this feeling of, of, of numbness to these things that doesn't change anything. And so I think that's the big, the big danger is, you know, this, a lot of this stuff, you know, media, we talk about the media lying and we talk about, you know, uh, politicians doing this or that, and it's been going on for so long and it's been accepted for so long that at this point that we're all becoming numb to it. You know, you mm-hmm. just kind of you kind of threw up your hands and say, "Oh, Biden did another stupid thing," or "Biden lied about this," or, you know, whatever the media lied about that. And at some point, it just whatever whatever you become becomes you become numb to is acceptable, effectively. And that's the danger is you know you look at any kind of society where things kind of degrade to a certain point, and usually that's what happens is whatever it is becomes acceptable to people, and then it just gets worse and worse because nobody's standing up against it. And, and Saturday Night Live will just do another sketch this weekend picking on Ted Cruz. Right. As, as if he's the only person in, in Washington you could possibly go after. Oh, of course. And it was it's, uh, it's funny, non-haw variety. Uh, just uh, the memes where you see the picture of the uh, uh, the throwing the tea in Boston, into Boston Harbor. The reaction when... Uh, Americans or you know British subjects at the time had to deal with a two percent tax increase. Right. Cut to cut to the picture on the right side of the meme. Uh, 40 percent income tax is just you know twenty uh, somethings lo- looking down at their phones and you know be- being uh, phone chimps. Right. So yeah. It's, so uh, but again, finding that happy medium, and I I used to, and I, I guess to a certain degree, joke now just. Uh, Let's let's get the someone supply the tar. I'll bring the feathers, kind of thing. And is that extreme? Yes. But uh, but again, where where do you find that medium to hold hold uh, our politicians who are our employees accountable for this stuff? And so it doesn't become you know that that uh, what what did you call it the the anger scrolling or the uh, the doom scrolling? Yeah, doom scrolling. Thank you. Where it it does you know it just railing you know raising the fists to the sky kind of thing and get off my lawn um headspace and just where 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 does the one man starts or one woman or just one person starts a revolution just start to swing the pendulum going back the other direction well that's it and i i think i think part of the the problem is is that you know people on our side that are supposed to be fighting for us and for what we believe in seem to be just not moving at all. Uh, I know there's talk about, well, McCarthy might do this or that, you know, who knows, but uh, I haven't seen a lot of good action from 
anybody on our side in a long time, with the exception, of course, of, uh, of Trump, who had a lot of problems. And I could read you a whole laundry list yeah, of sure. them here. But, but at the same time, he at least was taking action and at least was going on the offensive. And, you know, I, I, I beat this point into the ground, but, you know, our side, our side needs to, to go on the offensive. And well, just, start, and, just start taking yeah. ground and not just defending. Right. And that's why I'm, I'm, I do like a guy like, like DeSantis, and who, who we've talked about numerous times on, on this show. And, uh, and Rand Paul was a, was a great, and I think remains a, 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 a very good firebrand uh, in Washington. But I, I think we just need that, that leadership at the top again. And I hope DeSantis can overcome whatever shenanigans, and, that, and that's what it's become now in, in the Trump circus. Uh, to to regain or to like I said to start going on the offensive instead of just you know like being on the defensive constantly because Tr- Trump was great at that. I, and I, again, I'm with you. A laundry list of shortcomings with that guy that uh, that I I had certainly had my problems, but he he knew how to fight and take take it to the people who need to have it taken to them. Well, that's it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it would be absolutely amazing if both if both sides were we're on the offensive and we could actually suss out ideas and see what, see what works and, and who, and who wins. But uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. And I don't know exactly why, but so much of the GOP is just, it seems to be just, just made to surrender all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is just a herd mentality. That's why I think a lot of, you know, even, even cocaine Mitch stepped up when, when Trump was president and was went on more on the offensive. And uh, I think, I think that, you know, you have people that set the tone and then everyone just kind of goes along for the most part. So if we had more people like DeSantis or Trump in charge of things, I think that everyone else would, would step up a lot more than they have. Well, hey, we, we, we've got a couple of years to get it figured out. So, you know, knock on Formica here. We can make that happen. But on, on, a, on a positive note for guys like me and you, mm-hmm. the Golden Globes, once again, <laughs> de- de- continue the decline although i must i must admit it was nice um, and yes we it's everyone hates and thinks the rock and roll hall of fame is a joke until their band gets in uh, right. it was nice to see the banshees of anna sharon get some decent awards at the globes because I, anyway. I really loved colin farrell in it loved the script loved all the performances and i'm glad to see that it got it got a best picture for comedy or musical and best actor and best screenplay so yay for that. And also yay for the ratings continuing to tank. Yeah. And I, and I will add my own uh, silver lining. It was, it was great to see uh, Ki Hai Kwan, uh, also known as Short Round, uh, making a comeback this year with uh, everything everywhere all at once and, get, and actually winning a Golden Globe. His, his speech was, was great. Um, did, did he get a supporting actor? Yeah, he got supporting actor for that. And, and all right, Short Robert, Round. Yeah, he gave a gave a really beautiful, humble speech about just thanking everybody for giving him a comeback after he he basically given up on his his career. And it was yeah, I mean, I got a little misty. I got to admit it. Uh, there so is time was, for love, Doctor Jones. <laughs> that's right. So that was great to see. But I mean, yeah, the show as a whole was was just absolute garbage. You had a transgender quote unquote actress getting a standing ovation just for existing. Uh, you had a you had a black gay comedian that nobody's ever heard of hosting it. And the first thing he did was get up there and make quote unquote jokes about how he was there as a token. 
uh, it was just insufferable. Uh, and, and yeah, it's the, the, the ratings came in to about, uh, about 5 million tuned in, which sounds like a lot, but I mean, only a few years ago, it was 20 million. Right. Yeah. And yeah, the numbers have, have huge dropped and, uh, yeah, I read an article over it, over at Breitbart, if I can, if I can use that word here. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, by comparison, a, a reruns of, uh, of the 10 commandments were, were getting the same ratings. So they literally could have broadcast a rerun of 10 commandments and gotten basically the same ratings as the golden globes. Just ouch. Um, and at the same time, I think on the same day, they announced that the SAG awards are not even going to be broadcast on TV. They're, they're just moving it to YouTube because the ratings (laughs) are so bad. So it's just, whoo, like nobody's tuning into this stuff anymore. They are Uh, learning. Kinda. Kinda, (laughs) sorta. It's just a big back padding session. That's the term I'm going to use to keep it family friendly. Oh, Uh, sure. It's just giant, giant, massive back padding session these people just congratulating each other for existing. It's just amazing. So, you know, and they, they're not making movies anybody wants to watch anymore. And they're not, um, the few movies that get made that people actually want to see aren't getting any, any of the, the recognition they deserve. So there's no reason for any rational person who isn't in the industry to tune in, as far as I can tell. Well, I, um, I almost hate to admit it because I know it hasn't gotten a lot of, uh, good vibes in in the conservative community but i've I've seen babylon since our last show and is it decadent should have been should have been rated nc-17 yes yes um but was it still fun yeah uh and you know i I won't go so far as to say i'm going to backpedal a little bit on what i call the you know it's a it's a great homage to filmmaking it's just a love of cinema that's in there. And, and yes, the early time, early, you know, the pre Hayes code Hollywood was debauchery personified, but to see, but you know, without giving too much away of it, you know, it just, it did show the consequences of those actions and Margot Robbie and uh, Brad Pitt, again, in, in a movie that is celebrating movie making and uh, I, I should have had this at the ready. Oh, actually I, I kind of do have it at the ready. Thank God for all these windows I keep open on my computer. But uh, the uh, the other lead in the film, he, he and he was picked simply because you know he didn't bring a lot of baggage to the role. Uh, Diego Calva or Calva, I, I'm horrible with last name pronunciations. Strange for a guy whose last name is Pervaznik. I do try to get them right. But uh, the guy who played Manny in the movie, just great performances, and just uh, but it does show uh, you know how tone deaf. Hollywood can be when you know they they aren't getting people to to come see movies when it's when it is celebrating or not, not celebrating but at least depicting the debauchery and decadence of Hollywood. Yeah, and I have not I have not seen that one, but uh, I, yeah, I'm I am kind of interested to see it. I, I'm not really a big fan of movies that are edgy for edgy sake, but I get the feeling that it that it, that this movie really does have some guts in showing how debauched folks were back then in Hollywood. Well, well mm-hmm. I mean back then, how they, how they probably still are, but, uh, but it's a, yeah. it's a, uh, it's the, the roots of, of current Hollywood. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Damon Chazelle, he made uh, who, who, the director. He yeah. made one of my favorite recent movies, uh, Whiplash. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely brilliant movie. Uh, and he seems to be fascinated with, you know, the creative process and, and how difficult it is and what it takes to, to kind of grind out something 
you know, being a movie or a song or something that something creative that 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 people love, and kind of the the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into that, um, which I think is a fascinating topic, honestly, because it's you know uh, that that whole creative process is far too glorified these days. I think uh, so. I like I like the idea of a, a director that kind of gets down the mud and really shows how it's done. Um, <clears throat> and as a film lover, yeah. I, I I know you. Whenever you get around, this, I I know you will like it. I, I'm I'm pretty certain that that you'll like it for those exact reasons. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll definitely check it out at some point. And um, you know, and I do find it interesting. You know, uh, that Hollywood types tend to puff themselves up so much and talk about how, you know, how great they are and how uh, virtuous they are. And yet, whenever you see a, a movie about about Hollywood. You know, whenever whenever people in Hollywood get a chance to make a movie about themselves, it's always something like this or, you know, Tropic Thunder or The Player or Swimming with Sharks. It's always just people that are just their absolute worst Mm -hmm. and just stabbing each other in the back and treating treating each other like dirt. And uh, I think there's a lot more truth there than they want to let on. Uh, But it's interesting to me. I don't think I've seen a single movie about Hollywood that portrays it positively and yet and yet these same people whenever they whenever they get a chance to talk about themselves they just can't shut up about how great and virtuous and perfect they all are oh they they set the trends you know they 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 are the moral compass isn't that what uh, george clooney once said in one of his acceptance speeches i'm not sure if he said that specifically i think uh he he talked about how they were proud to be out of touch out of touch that's what it was i I, I get confused with the moral compass it's the most condescending yeah. thing I've ever heard. Um, but no, the, the moral compass thing actually comes from, get this, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, no. I, and I'm not even kidding. Ironic sometimes. <clears throat> that's that's his actual quote is Hollywood has the best moral compass. You can look that up. But yeah, Harvey Weinstein <laughs> said that. <laughs> that. That didn't age well, did it? I guess irony can be pretty ironic sometimes, uh, yep. as, as Shatner would say. Yes, well, and this comes from the guy who just uh, hung up his uh, his Bill Cosby album. Bill Cosby is a very funny fellow, right? That's that's finally back up on my walls again. But <clears throat> forgiveness uh, when merited. Uh, so, yep. But it's uh, Hollywood. Well, they, well, and and that's one of the things. You know, again, not to give too much away, but one of the things that was mentioned in Babylon was that it's cyclical, and and you know, just these things keep coming back up again. And Hollywood's not going to change. We went through the Me Too movement, which was necessary, I think, to you know, purge certain amounts. But then it starts to eat itself, and then it it, it just goes back to the to the way it was. And I know that uh, w- w- also popping up in the uh, the news recently, you brought to my attention. Uh, what's going on with uh, one of the more popular actors uh, coming up on the scene right right now? Uh, is it Kumail or Kamile? Nanjiani. Yeah. yeah uh, just uh, now, what? Give give me a little more details here on he he's mad because woke Hollywood won't let him play a bad guy. Yeah. So you know you know he's he's really like you say he's really on the the up and up right now. He just played a a superhero in a Marvel movie, uh, I believe a year or two ago. Yeah, the Eternals, uh, right? The Eternals and. Uh, you know, he's been he's been kind of trying to break through for a while. Uh, he's actually a pretty funny guy, but, you know, he's one of those actors that kind of has to stay in his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's one of those. He's also one of those actors that endlessly endlessly talks about his skin color and and uh, makes that his entire personality. So uh, in this case, well, identity just, politics, that's, that's how you get along <laughs> in life now. 
exactly play, play the victim in identity politics so yeah he was giving an interview and he basically said you know uh you know, it's I'm, it's great that we're getting more you know, people like me are getting more opportunities now. He's Indian American, but he's saying, oh, it's but it's such a drag that Hollywood's PC also because uh, we never get to play bad guys. It's always the white guys playing bad guys. And it's like, yeah, why do you think that is? Who set that system up that it's only the white guys these days? You know, these these are the same people who complained and fussed and threw through fits every time there was there was any kind of bad representation. And now they're complaining because they can't get the jobs they want because of because of the representation rules that they set up. Well, this this goes to where I was I was leading down with you know Hollywood will eat its own just the way the left eats its own. And exactly. that's when that to me is when you know that a movement has lost its steam when they turn on their own and start eating their own. Yeah, exactly. And it's you know it's it, it's yeah it's hilarious, but it's just also that just this meant this short sighted mentality of. You know, people that are that that complain because they just want to want to get more for themselves ultimately, and then they complain when that that doesn't happen for them the way they want. Uh, you know, but I mean, this is this is what's been happening for a while is is just that people are always trying to set the rules for oh this this group can can be portrayed this way and this group can be portrayed this way, uh, and it's you know, it, and and that that's what shortchanges the entire creative system. You know, when you're writing a screenplay or a book or something, you want the characters to be the best that they can be to make the story the most interesting. But <clears throat> when you've got all these rules about who can do what, then it limits everything and you get end up with a bunch of cliches and nobody likes it. And so, so then the actors get boxed in to all these cliches also. So you've got a guy whose career is going so well, he's playing super, he's playing, he's a comedian who's playing superheroes and he still feels too limited by the rules. You know, that's how ridiculous it's gotten at this point. Well, it gets to you know something that uh, we've talked about. Just write the damn movie. People will come see it or they won't. And, well, and, <laughs> and again, while they eat their own, the sooner that we move away from this cancel culture or strictest definitions on what, who can be a hero, who, who can be a villain, villain, the sooner we start ignoring the less than 2% noise on Twitter or probably less than half a percent now that everyone's left it who would, would complain and moan. Yep. You know, it's let's get back to just making movies, entertaining us. Well, yeah, that's the bottom line. It's the hard part is just getting through this mentality because Hollywood is, uh, you know, and I'm obviously you work there, so you probably know better than me, but, but Hollywood is just such a, um, a groupthink place, mm-hmm. you know, where, where, you know, once a, a mindset takes over, it's so hard to break everybody out of it, you know, and there's been uh, how many woke flops have there been and how many non woke hits have there been, uh, you know, that, that it should be, it should have been obvious for years and years now that this, that this identity politics isn't selling. And yet they keep making these movies. I mean, you know, Marvel still hasn't figured it out. As far as I can tell, they're, they're still making, you know, the Miss Marvel movie and all this stuff that nobody's going to go see. And, uh, you know, but, but it's just you have to, you have to, I don't know what you have to do, but you have to change the mindset. And that takes some time. Well, and, uh, on, on the positive tip on that, and D- Disneyland is getting some major competition, which is also, st- which stems from the Disney movies getting too woke. And the park is getting super woke now. And a friend of friend of this show, I, I'll, I'll, I'll leave uh, them nameless, uh, uh, but has family with, with 
two girls who have loved being Disney princesses forever. They're not going. They're giving up their, their they've been past members, annual pass holders for years. They're giving that up and they're shifting their, their business over to Knott's Berry Farm in Southern California, which is a sister park to my beloved Cedar Point back in Ohio, but I don't want to digress on that one. But and Knott's Berry Farm celebrates America and has uh, there's religiously themed things in the park. So that's happening. And I believe, and it's universal is it in 2025, uh, their big project, their big overhaul to bring people in and, and as competition to Disneyland is going to be uh, uh, opening up. So it, it's happening. And, and I also saw our, uh, the, the man we were talking about on one of the recent shows, Bob Iger is uh, dictating that, the people, the just the way the uh, the workplace has been set up in the last couple of years, people working from home, he is demanding and dictating that Disney employees come back into the office. Must be in the office four out of five days. Which, which it, by itself is probably enough to to make some of these people cry having to work for four days a week. But uh... <laughs> well, there are some people there who do. My former friends and coworkers, I, I I'm not gonna, I will not throw any of them under the bus, those who only who will be complaining about that, they know who they are. I, I won't name names, but I was fortunate enough to work with some good people, very good people. But uh, yeah, it's uh, they're trying to get things back on track. Will it work? Will Iger coming back, the guy who started the problems in the first place? Who knows? But it's nice to know that there are former, now former season ticket holders, annual pass members to Disneyland are shifting to places that treat America and treat the general public more respectfully. So good for that. Very good for that. Yeah, I mean, Iger's a, a interesting fellow because he's the one who really got Disney on its on its. Um, <clears throat> he brought it to the top, really, in the early early two thousands. Yeah, when he got uh, the know, torch he, from from Ovitz, yeah. Yeah, he's he's the one who brought Star Wars and the MCU and all these huge franchises to Disney and just made it this you know giant billion billion dollar juggernaut that was leading, leading Hollywood for years and years. And then, uh, but you know, once the woke, woke virus got into his head, it just completely changed. And uh, I don't think he's learned anything from the recent failures because he keeps doing this kind of mealy mouth back and forth, like he did with, with uh, Florida, you know, one minute he says they shouldn't have gotten involved in, in Florida politics. And then five minutes later, he's saying they should have been more involved. And so I, you know, I think well, that was Tiger. Talking, I thought, I thought that was his, his successor. No, uh, well, Chapik was the one who got involved, but Iger was was behind the scenes doing interviews. Oh, okay, doing shadow stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, so when you know when uh, Chapik was in was in deep duty with Florida, Iger was saying, "Oh, we never should have gotten involved." You know, distracted from da da da. And then you know, five minutes later, he was saying, "Oh no, these are important issues, and we should be involved." And you know, it's a it's a moral, not a political issue, which is what people always like to say when it's a political issue, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, so, he, you know, he talks out of two sides of his mouth, whatever sounds good at the time. And uh, to me, that's somebody who's 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 actually fully invested in the woke side and just doesn't but just doesn't want to say it out loud because they want to keep their job. So, you know, he's he's absolutely going to keep pushing things in the wrong direction with Disney. He's just he's just going to be more subtle about it, which is, you know, that worked for a while. You know, if you watch the MCU movies. As they got the early into, ones, sure. The early one, well, the early ones weren't very woke, but you know, you get into like phase three ish, it was starting to creep in, but they were they were good about not letting it take over the story. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and I think that's what he's going to try to bring back is movies that kind of are entertaining, but then they just sucker punch you with something, you know, um, which I'm not happy about, but I mean, I think that's what he's trying to do. I think he thinks that's the formula for success at Disney. Well, we shall see. And they'll, and they'll either way, they'll be at work four out of five days a week. <laughs> Theoretically. Or, they don't, take, they don't yes. take their union, union breaks or anything. <laughs> yes, in theory. So, yeah. Well, hey, uh, I, I, uh, I want to end this on, on the most positive note that I possibly can, though. And, and our, our little all-over-the-place episode, where are we? We're on 121. Oh, hey, I like that number. Uh, that's self-serving. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, saw, saw the trailer for Creed 3 on the big screen today in front of the old way. And oh, just very quick, old way. Uh, Nick Cage was awesome. Just it was a very, he's good in the slow burn. It's his first Western, and he was very good as this, in, in the lead role as a former, you know, vicious gunslinging killer and who becomes a family man and awesome stuff. I like seeing that. And it's going to be it's a limited uh, run in theaters for another couple of days before it goes to home streaming. I uh, can't remember which service that is, Lionsgate or whatever it was. Uh, but that's coming to the new model with things with going from the theater quickly back into the home screens. But, uh, he was great. Nick, our, our buddy, Nick Cersei, he, he Nick's always fun. And he, play, he's kind of pigeonholing himself. He plays a U.S. Marshal. Go figure. <laughs> and, uh, art, is it? <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, I don't, I don't think we got a first name on him, but, uh, I don't think so. Um, and Clint Howard was great. Oh, and James LaGro's son, was really really good in in uh, in a villainous role uh, a white guy i know a villainous white guy it goes with the territory but it was Jockey. the old west yeah but uh definitely uh check that one out uh the old way and creed three and i'm anytime I, I talk about a rocky it's, it's still a rocky film you know it's our first one without sylvester stallone uh he's mentioned by by uh michael b jordan and uh, yeah, it's there's nothing like a Rocky movie for me, and, and now it's nothing like a Creed movie. So it's it's looking to continue the tradition. I'm I'm glad to to, to see you know, the the team that brought us the first Creed movie is back uh, completely with uh, the director, the stars, and it it just looks good. Looks no, not good. Looks amazing. So that's coming up all too soon in March. So uh, there. I can't end on on, on more positive note than than. than uh, a Creed slash Rocky film. The first two are fantastic, so I'm looking forward to this one. It's going to be good. Uh, all right. Well, folks, that is all over the place for this week, episode 121. Jim and I bidding you adieu. And Mar Marty, we miss you, buddy. But, you know, our Marty's pulling his George Jefferson for the first time, so he's just – he'll be bipping in and out throughout the year. So uh, not sure if we'll have him back next week. Not sure if we'll have a guest next week. That's the joy of coming here, folks. We're all over the place. You don't know what you're going to get, but you're going to get some damn fun conversations with whoever happens to be here. So Thank as you. always, thanks for tuning in, folks. Jim, always great talking with you, my friend. And uh, you too. be in touch soon. And we'll be back on the air, the Cyberwaves, next week. Take care, everybody. <laughs>